I am a bit of a, a hamburger or cheeseburger connoisseur. If there was one food that I had to eat for every meal for the rest of my life, that would probably be the thing that I would pick. I like them. I really do. And a few years ago, I was introduced to this uh, a, a burger at Red Robin. Yeah, I, really, I like Red Robin. And uh, I went to Red Robin, and I got the Royal Robin, whatever you call it. And on this burger, they put a fried egg. And it is, it's what I would call what brings it all together. It's what makes, so now whenever I make myself a cheeseburger, hamburger, what I have a fried egg on it. If you haven't tried it, you should definitely try it. It brings it together. And today as we kind of end our sermon series on church membership, we're going to look at the part of it that brings it all together. We have been using as kind of our launch point Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, the 42nd verse, I use that to go through a lot of the, the, the points or the, the sermons that I have preached. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And we looked at that. We, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. And, and David talked about that. And to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And last week, we looked at uh, the giving, how it transformed their conversion and their, their following of Christ, transformed the way they saw their money. And then we get to the very end of chapter 2 of Acts. And it says in verse 46, Day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, and then this, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those that were being saved. At the end, it's evangelism. At the end, the, the part of church membership that kind of brings it all together is this last point, the devotion to evangelism. We see here the Lord is the one that converts people. The Holy Spirit convicts people of their sins, and we'll talk about that as we go through this. But the early church was devoted to everybody else, to taking what they were doing, to taking what they've heard, taking the gospel message of Jesus Christ out to the rest of the world. I stopped here at Acts chapter 2, verse 47, but really when you get to chapter 3, and for the rest of the book, they're living it out. It starts in Jerusalem, and it starts to spread, and it ends up all over the place, and the book ends with Paul, who's not even a Christian at this point, in Rome. And so evangelism is that, that final component, the component that brings it all together, and so we're going to look at probably the most famous passage of Scripture about the call to evangelism, the Great Commission, Jesus' words to his disciples and therefore to us. And they're recorded in a couple of places. But the one that I'm going to look at this morning is in Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to ask if you would to stand in honor of God's word as I read the marching orders that Jesus gave his disciples and us. Verse 18 says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Lord, as we read your word this morning, Lord, as we've celebrated the Lord's Supper, and as Jeff mentioned, we proclaim your death until you come. Lord, that we would take that command to, to proclaim your death, your burial, your resurrection, the great gospel message. Lord, that we would make that the center focus of our life. 
the focus of our church. Lord, that uh, we would make that our mission. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Go ahead. Have a seat. So Jesus here, this is right before he ascends into heaven. It's the last couple verses of this book. He mentions it also. It's recorded in Mark. It's recorded in Acts. And it's what we see take place in the book of Acts, this evangelistic call. And church members are dedicated to evangelism. I'm going to look at three kind of points or three ideas from this section of Scripture that hopefully will kind of bring it all together like I mentioned at the beginning when we we wrap it up. The first part about being dedicated to evangelism is right there in, in verse 18. It's because of the authority of Jesus Christ. It's the authority of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes when people quote Matthew, the end of it here, and the Great Commission, they don't actually include verse 18. They start at verse 19, but you really can't miss this first part. Jesus says this to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth, that means everywhere, all authority has been given to me. And so before he he starts anything else with his disciples about what they're supposed to do, he reminds them that authority starts with him, and that has some implications for us. Imagine today if you left church, you got in your car and you started to drive home. And as you're driving home, a car comes up behind you, like, I don't know, a Honda Accord or something. And they start flashing their lights at you, and you can see them kind of waving in the windshield, and they pull up beside you, and they've got a really, you know, frantic face, and they're pointing at something. And you begin to think, there must, I, I must have hit somebody. You know, my, something's falling off of my car. They're, they're freaking out. So you pull over. And they pull over too and they get out of their car and they have this, this look on their face and you're like, what, looking around at your car? And they walk up to you and they go, do you know why I, I did all this? And you're like, I, no, I have no idea. And they said, because you were speeding. And remember, this is just a person in a car. And you used to say, oh, okay. And they said, I'm going to give you a ticket. I'm, I'm, you're going to have to go down to the courthouse and pay this. You'd probably be getting ready to put the car in drive and get out of there as quick as you could because who is this person? Why do they think they have the right to pull me over and tell me I was going too I wasn't going that fast, maybe a little bit. You'd think they were a little off. Why? Because they don't have authority. Now, obviously, if the car that pulls you over had lights on the top of it and the guy that got out had a, a blue uniform on with a badge and he had a real official-looking notebook or whatever you call that thing, ticket book, And he came up and said, do you know why I pulled you over? You would probably listen to him. You would probably accept the ticket. Why? I mean, it could even be the same person, but this time he happens to be a new form. He has authority. He comes from the authority of the government, and we recognize that. We realize if we don't listen to him, what happens? We get in a lot more trouble. And so Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I have authority, and he's kind of deputizing his disciples. He's saying to them, listen, I'm going to send you out to go do something. You're really going to go out and do what I've been doing. Now, you're not going to die on a cross for the sins of the world. You're not going to do that. But you are going to be my witnesses. You are going to go tell people in my authority what I have done, who I am, how they can be saved, how they can be reconciled to God. If you remember... Jesus has already kind of let them do this for a brief period of time. If you go back in Matthew, and we'll look at it here in just a minute, he sent his disciples out for a brief period before they they came back. He was preparing them for this moment. 
This is what you're about. I have the authority, and I'm, I'm telling you to go out and to do this. Now, that has some implications for us today. It means if, if we are going out in the authority of Christ, we have the responsibility to do what he has called us to do. And that is to be witnesses, to share, to tell, not to be responsible for whether or not people listen. If a police officer gives you a ticket, it's not the police officer's job to prosecute the case. He does his job. He writes the ticket and hands it off to somebody else. Our job in evangelism is to share the truth of the word of God. Sometimes people will listen, sometimes they won't. One of the great passages of scripture about this is actually in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is an Old Testament prophet who wrote during the time of the the, the Jerusalem captivity when they were taken captive by the Babylonians. And God calls Ezekiel and he says, Ezekiel, you're going to be my prophet. He says this in chapter 2 and chapter 3. Chapter 2, he tells them, you're going to be my prophet. You're going to speak my words. You're going to go out to these people and you're going to tell them exactly what I tell you to tell them. You're going to be my mouthpiece, Ezekiel. But here's the thing. They're not really going to listen to you. In fact, they're going to reject most everything that you say. They're not going to like it. They're really going to get mad at you. And then in chapter 3, he gives a very, God gives a very powerful speech or direction to Ezekiel, something that kind of is comforting to me and should be comforting to all of us, but also something that kind of makes us a little uncomfortable in a different way. He says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, you're going to be my watchman. You're going to speak my words to these people. And if you speak the truth, you tell them the truth and they don't listen, that's on them. I'm not going to hold their blood on you. It's not accountable to you. You tell the truth. You do what I've called you to do. That's what is my command to you, Ezekiel. But, and that's comforting to me. My job is to do what God has called and commanded me to do. I'm not responsible for the response But God says to Ezekiel, but Ezekiel, if you fail to tell them, if you fail to say what I've told you to say, yes, they're guilty, but I'm going to hold it on you too. Their blood will be on your hands. And every time I read that and I think about Jesus' command to his disciples, I see a similar pattern there. Go and be my witnesses. Go and tell people the truth of the word of God. Go and live it out. That's what we are called to do. Sometimes people will listen. A lot of times they won't. I'm not the one that's going to convict them of their sins. That's the Holy Spirit's job, but I am given that command. All authority is given to Jesus. And this is what he's told us to do. So the question then is, are we faithful? Are we faithful to do what God has called us to do? What Jesus has called us to do. We do it because of the authority of Christ. The second point in the Great Commission is we do it in all parts of our lives and in all parts of the world. Verse 19, we get the actual command here. Go and make disciples of all the nations. And then it begins with baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. And I think when Jesus says go, and a couple of weeks ago, uh, Nick and and Dave and I went to hear a guy talk about this particular word go, and it's not to get boring in all the Greek, it's not technically an imperative, and I could go through all of the ways that it's not that way in the Greek language, but the idea here with go and make disciples is this, Jesus saying to his disciples, this is what you're going to be all about in every area of your life. It says there in verse 16 that they're up on a mountain. 
And I can almost picture this. This is just me. But I can almost picture Jesus has just said to him, listen, all authority has been given to me. And then I can imagine he almost turns and he looks out from this mountaintop where they could see everything. You know, you could get to a high place, maybe Pinnacle Mountain here in our area. And he says, look out there. See everything that you can see. See the cities. See the little villages over here. See the Sea of Galilee. See the horizon and everything beyond it that you don't even know about yet. Do you see all of that? Go. Go and make disciples. Some of you, it's going to be in those little villages. Some of you, it's going to be in the big city over here. For some of you, you're going to go out to the places that you haven't even been to yet. And the truth is, these guys did exactly that. They went to the towns, they went to the villages, they went to the cities, and they went out to places they had never been before because Jesus told them to go do it. And he said, it's in all parts of your life. It's in the day-to-day way that you live your life. It's how you reorient yourself. It's the way Jesus taught them. If you have your Bible still open to Matthew, just turn over a page to Mark. Mark chapter 2. Look at how Jesus, just in this, well, chapter 2 and chapter 3, how Jesus demonstrated making disciples to his disciples. In verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported he was at home. He was sitting there in his, in his house, and these people come, and Jesus, he makes the disciples there. There's a paralytic that's lowered through the roof, and, and he does all of these things while he's there. If you go over to verse 13, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he passed by and saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said, follow me. So there he is in the marketplace. There he is walking along, and he's making disciples. If you go over to verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and he has this discussion with his disciples and with the religious leaders. So there he is just minding his own business. Chapter 3, verse 1, again, he entered a synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see what, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. And there he has another example in the synagogue, in the church service. All setting up for down in verse 13 of chapter 3. And he went up on the mountain and called to the, him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, who he named apostles. So what? So that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. And so here Jesus has demonstrated for his disciples while he's at home, while he's in the marketplace, he's in a grain field, while he's at church, wherever he is saying, listen, make disciples, this is what you're about. And then here for a brief period, he sends them out. They'll come back. I'm sure they had a little debriefing period of how did it go. But it's setting them up for this moment we have in Matthew 28 where now Jesus is saying, I'm about to go up to heaven. The Holy Spirit's going to come. But your job, go and make disciples. Do what I've been doing in every part of your life. A few years ago, the CEO of Coca-Cola made this statement. I think it's be on the screen, maybe. I don't know if you can read it, but I'll read it to you. This is what he said. All of us in the Coca-Cola family wake up each morning knowing that every single one of the world's 5.6 billion people will get thirsty that day. And we are the ones with the best opportunity to refresh them. Our task is simple. Make Coca-Cola and our other products available, affordable, And acceptable to them, quenching their thirst and providing them a perfect moment of relaxation. If we do this, 
If we make it impossible for these 5.6 billion people to escape Coca-Cola, then we assure our future success for many years to come. Doing anything else is not an option. Here is a man who says his, himself and, and the family of Coca-Cola are dedicating to make sure the world has access to sugar water. Lots of sugar water. It's what, how they reoriented their life. Making sure it's available, it's around, it's all these places. Because why? People get thirsty. Well, people get spiritually thirsty too. In many ways, you could say all of us in the family of Christ wake up each morning knowing that every single one of the world's now about 8 billion people will get spiritually thirsty that day. We're the ones with the best opportunity to refresh them. Our task is simple. Make Christ and his gospel available so that he can quench their thirst and provide them a perfect eternal rest. We have been given the gospel. He's told us, listen, go and make disciples. Go out there and reorient your life around this. So how does that work in our our regular, the way we live? It means whether you're, in my case, I'm a husband. I'm thinking, how do I make a disciple of myself and my wife? I'm a father with my kids. As a pastor, yeah, that, that part of the job description. But it applies for everybody else in every area of your life. In other words, when you go to your job, yes, you think about, all right, what do I need to do at work today? But you stop and also go, how, how can I be a disciple maker there today? It always warms my heart on Wednesdays when the men, we, we sit over there and we have a time of prayer and we share a little bit about what's going on in our lives. And some of the guys will talk about at their jobs or wherever that somebody, one of the other employees will come up to them with a, a spiritual problem or issue in their life and they seek them out. They seek them out because they've seen that this is a disciple maker. This is somebody that's got answers to some of the questions that I have. They pray with them. That's what we're to be about, whether we're at school, at our jobs, in the neighborhood, is to say, how am I a disciple maker in this area of my life? It's how Jesus lived. Doesn't mean everyone's going to quit their job and fly over to Timbuktu. Some of you might. But it does mean wherever you go after we say amen and we leave these two doors, you say, how do I become a disciple maker? That's what my life should be about. Which brings us to the final point about all of this. Is that what are we about? We're about making disciples, not getting decisions. Jesus talked about making disciples, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. Before I came to Cornerstone, I was pastoring a church in Tennessee. And there was a, a another church not far away. I kind of knew the pastor that was there. And he was there for two or three years, maybe four years, and, and he went off to another church. And before he left to go off to the other church, I got their, their newsletter. I don't know why they sent it to me, so I got their church's newsletter. And in his final entry, he wrote a little thing in the newsletter. In the final entry, he wrote a little bit about the time he had spent at this church. And he wrote all about some good things. And one of the things he wrote in there was that during the three or four years that he had been there, the church had seen over 100, I think it was around 140 decisions for Christ, which is, wow, that's great. 
But one of the issues that I had when I read that is I also knew a little bit about this church. And during the same three or four years that he had been there, the, the attendance there on a Sunday morning had gone from about 180 down to about 160. Now, there's reasons why that may happen. Nothing terrible. I mean, he was a good guy. But I had questions of saying, how did you have 140-some-odd people make decisions to follow Christ, profess faith, become believers, but then the church itself actually got smaller? How is that? And the thing was, as I read through that, nobody else seemed to question it. Everybody knew what I knew. I would talk with some other folks that knew the same, that knew about that church, and they were, isn't that great? all those decisions and and I never crossed their mind to say but where are those decisions what did they decide you see the bible it, it talks about disciples we've been measuring decisions it's easy to measure decisions who raises a hand who fills out a card who walks an aisle but previous generations of Christians would never have measured it that way looked at disciples I mean, we see the same problem in the New Testament. There are people that made decisions and it wasn't real. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is talking to the elders at the church at Ephesus. And he's talking to them about a whole bunch of things. And he says, listen, you need to beware in your congregations. You need to shepherd them well because there's going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. There are going to be people that have made decisions. They're there, but they're, they're rised up to take people out of your church to lead them astray. He wrote letters to Timothy and Titus in 1 Timothy. He calls out names in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, listen, Timothy, there's a guy by the name of Hymenaeus and Alexander. They shipwrecked their faith. They made a decision, but they're gone now. Paul talks about a man named Demas. Demas went on missionary trips with Paul. He was probably persecuted, may even have gone to prison with Paul. And Paul writes and he says, but he loved the world. He's gone now. He left. John wrote in 1 John to the church there. He said, listen, they left us. Some of them left us to show that they were never really of us. I'm sure all of these people that I've mentioned, whether by name or not, they made decisions. But they were never disciples. This is why church membership is important. This is why we've talked about this for the past six weeks. In Acts chapter 2, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and the prayers, and the way they gave. Evangelism leads to people making decisions. They get involved with the body of believers so that they can become disciples, so that they can be transformed. If it's just about somebody making a decision, we can scrap all of this and everybody just go out and just, somebody makes a decision, great. We all just go on about our daily lives, whether it's real or not. But Jesus talked to his disciples, go and make, this, go and make disciples. That's what they did. And we see through the book of Acts, they formed local bodies of believers that took that message to other people and it grew and it grew and it grew. In my pocket, if I can reach down in there. I have a seed. Your eyes are really good. Some of you are squinting. I do actually have a seed in my hand. It could be any type of seed. But if I have this seed and I set it here on this little table, and I could leave it there for a day, a week, month, year, decade, it would still be a seed, wouldn't it? 
They even have this place, I think it's over in Denmark, where they have seeds of every kind of plant stored. So in case there's some sort of apocalypse, we can reseed the planet. And they're all just seeds. And they will stay seeds forever as long as they're just left out like this. Well, what happens if I take this seed and go outside and just stick it in the ground? Especially today because it's wet out there. If everything's right, the weather, you know, it's the time of year, right? It begins to do what? Sprout. It begins to send out roots so it can get nourishment, so it can grow. And then it'll start to grow up. And whether it's a tree or a plant or whatever, it'll have a, a stem or a trunk that comes out of the ground and eventually branches and leaves. And will it look anything at all like the seed anymore? No, nah, it's totally different. It doesn't resemble this little itty-bitty seed at all. It's been changed. How? Because it was put in the right environment. Left out on the table, it'll just sit there. But when it gets in the right environment, it becomes something totally different. It becomes something that eventually, when it grows and the leaves and everything come on it, it does what? It produces more seeds. It reproduces itself. You can kind of see the comparison as believers. Just sit there. Nothing. But if we get in the right environment, we're placed in the the body of believers, what God has given us, what the New Testament talks about in a church with brothers and sisters in Christ that do what? They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. We study the word of God. They devote themselves to the fellowship. We have life groups. We bear each other's burdens. We pray for each other. They devote themselves to the breaking of the bread. We talked about baptism and the Lord's Supper and these ordinances that we just practiced this morning that remind us who we are as brothers and sisters in Christ. The way we pray, we pray for each other. The way we give, we do all of these things. We change. We don't look like we once did. Just like the seed becomes something different. And ultimately, hopefully, As we mature, just like a plant, we mature to the point where we can reproduce ourselves. That we see somebody else coming up that we say, this person is becoming a follower of Christ because I've become a disciple maker. That's what we're to be about. That's why Cornerstone, or if you're a guest here and you're some other church, why it's important to be a part of a a body of believers, to be in the right environment, to be a disciple maker. So I have a couple questions for you here at the end. Are you becoming a disciple? Or are you content with simply just being a decision? Have you made a decision or are you becoming a disciple? Are you doing all of the things we see the early church do? They devoted themselves and all of these things, the breaking of the bread and the fellowship and the prayers, are you just coasting along? Then the second question that somebody asked me once, and as we go on the path of becoming disciples, it's this, disciple makers, it's this, would you want someone to model their life after yours? Jesus lived his life in such a way that as before he ascends into heaven, he looks at his disciples and says, go and do what I did. Now, obviously, Jesus is perfect, and you're not, neither am I, so we can't be that good. And we don't die on a cross for people's sins. That was just him. 
But going and making disciples, pattering our, our lives after Christ, well, that's what the disciples did. And we read Paul, Paul talks about Timothy, he talks to some of these churches, say, you can model your life after me. Yes, we'll make mistakes. Paul sinned, I'm sure, made mistakes, did things he shouldn't do. He confessed those sins and, and repented of them. But he lived in such a way so that Titus and Timothy could emulate him. So right now, if somebody were to watch your life, they were to follow you for the next week, would you want them to live the way you're living? Because people will. The younger people of our church will. They'll pattern their faith after what they witness and what they see. You're going to make a disciple one way or the other. It just depends if it's a disciple according to what the Bible says or something else. Would you want somebody to model their life after yours? Those are the questions that we ask as we, we look at this whole series on why be a member of a church. Gather together, build ourselves up just like the early church did so that we can reach other people.